I don't know how closely you follow the world news, but I heard an interesting bit of world news this past week. North Korea positioned two medium-range missiles on their eastern coast and warned the United States that an attack could happen in the very near future. Now, these missiles aren't long distance enough to actually reach the United States, but they're long enough to deal some damage to South Korea, um, other United States allies and, and military bases that we have in the Pacific Ocean. Now, if you're not familiar with the relations of North Korea and the United States, tensions have been slowly building for the past few years and decades and even in the past few weeks have escalated rather quickly. So if an attack happens sometime soon, these tensions could reach a turning point. Things could turn for the worse, for the peace between these two nations. South Korea has already started preparing its defenses. The United States and other United States allies with embassies in North Korea have started to make evacuation plans and have started to plan strategies and, and diplomatic solutions to keep the peace not only between the two countries but also in the world. I don't think anybody would argue that peace in the world would be a good thing. We might snicker and chuckle a little bit when we hear a beauty pageant contestant answer World peace. But in all seriousness, world peace would actually be a very good thing. People want peace in some way, shape, or form in their lives. Now in our message lesson, we heard of a special kind of peace. An angel had appeared to Mary uh, at, at the tomb. Jesus himself had appeared to the women and the two disciples on the way to Emmaus and Peter and John had seen the empty tomb. They had proof that Jesus was alive. And yet, all those disciples were huddled together in a locked room, in a locked house, for fear of the Jews. The Jewish leaders were on the lookout for any of Jesus' followers who might caused them some trouble after Jesus' death. So the disciples were in a room with a locked door, and they also locked the door to the house, just in case. And yet, Jesus appeared in the middle of that locked room and said, Peace be with you. What a surprise for those disciples. They had heard the reports from the women, from the disciples, from Peter and John, and yet they were still afraid. When Jesus said, peace be with you, it, it was the common Jewish greeting. That's what you would say to somebody on the street. But it wasn't common when Jesus said it. Because Jesus actually had the power to give them the peace, he said, would be with them. It wasn't just a normal greeting. He knew the disciples were afraid. 
So he said, peace be with you. Now he had foretold that he would give them this peace. Just a few chapters earlier, in John 14, verse 27, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Do you think the disciples were afraid? Do you think their hearts were troubled? They were in a locked room for fear of the Jews. Maybe they were even afraid that they were seeing a ghost of their dead friend. And yet Jesus warned them to not be afraid. He told them he was going to give them peace. The disciples had obviously forgotten these words of Jesus that he spoke to them only a few days earlier on Maundy Thursday. So Jesus showed them his hands and his feet and his side. He knew they were afraid. He knew that their hearts were troubled. But he also knew it was his peace that would calm their hearts. And after he showed them his hands and his feet, he said to them again, Peace be with you. The disciples were obviously a little stunned, a little shocked to see their teacher, their friend, standing there in front of them. And Jesus said, peace be with you. He showed them that he was real. He was there in the flesh. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a figment of their imagination. They could see him. They could touch him. He even ate fish and bread in front of them to prove that he was alive and well. The disciples were a little stunned, but after Jesus showed them his hands, said, Peace be with you, their eyes and their hearts were open to understand what Jesus was really giving them with that greeting, Peace be with you. Now, do we understand what Jesus gives us the very first time he gives it to us? Do we only have to read the Bible once? Do we only have to go to church once? Hear that we are forgiven once? Or are those things that need to be repeated over and over again? Can you imagine what the disciples were feeling when they first saw Jesus? Can you imagine what was running through their minds? What was Jesus going to say? What was he going to do? Because if you remember, they all fled Jesus. They had all abandoned him and didn't bother defending him. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up right in the middle of a locked room. Would, would you be a little afraid if you were in their shoes? Have there been times in your life when you've been afraid of Jesus? Now, you probably haven't been locked in a room for fear of your life. You probably haven't seen Jesus suddenly appear before you when you were doing something you shouldn't be doing. But have there been times when you've been afraid of what Jesus might say to you or might do to you if he were standing right there next to you? 
we can kind of understand how the disciples could have been afraid. I'm sure we would be a little afraid. There, there might things be things that we're afraid of and, and ashamed of if Jesus would suddenly appear before us this morning. And that's why Jesus repeated his greeting. Peace be with you. He knew their hearts were troubled. He knew they were afraid. And he knew his peace would calm their fears. He gave them that lasting peace. Peace with God. Those nail marks in his hands and his side and his feet were proof that he had paid for their forgiveness. There was nothing left to be afraid of. He had defeated all their real enemies. They didn't need to be afraid anymore. And so Jesus said, peace be with you. And they finally understood what that meant. After Jesus showed them his hands, he also gave them something else. He had given them that peace with God. And he also breathed on them and breathed out the Holy Spirit into their hearts. You see, the time that the disciples had with Jesus on this earth was coming to an end. He wasn't going to be with them much longer. And they were going to be his disciples, his apostles, his missionaries in the world. They had a lot of work to do. And they needed help to do that work. They couldn't do it by themselves. So Jesus first gives them peace with God, gives them the peace of their forgiveness, the proof in his hands and his feet, and also gives them the Holy Spirit so that they could carry out their new ministries for him. Jesus also gives them the power to preach law and gospel. He gives them the power to forgive the sins of repentant hearts and also to hold forgiveness from the impenitent. And that's the same power when the Holy Spirit is breathed out on us through Jesus' word. We have that same power. You and I have the power to preach the forgiveness of sins, the law and gospel. But there was one disciple who wasn't there on Easter Sunday evening. For some reason, Thomas wasn't with the other disciples. So when the disciples came to him and said, Jesus is alive, he has risen, Thomas couldn't believe that Jesus was alive because Jesus didn't appear to him. He didn't see Jesus alive. He couldn't see the nail marks. He couldn't see his feet and his side. He wanted to touch Jesus. He wanted proof that Jesus was really alive. So for the whole next week, Peter or Thomas was filled with doubt, with misery and sadness because he didn't believe that Jesus was alive. He missed out on that opportunity to see his risen Lord. And maybe after a full week of trying to convince Thomas that Jesus really was alive, the disciples might have started to wonder themselves. 
they might have started to doubt whether Jesus was alive because they hadn't seen him or heard from him in, in a full week. But John tells us the very next Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, all those disciples were gathered in that same room. Both doors were locked again. And Jesus appeared once again and said, Peace be with you. This time, Thomas was there. Jesus began with the same greeting he said the week before. And then he turned right to Peter, or right to Thomas. Jesus knew Thomas had doubts. He knew Thomas didn't believe that he was alive. And Jesus wanted to prove to him, give Thomas the proof he asked for, that he really was alive. What wondrous love of Jesus. He knew his disciples needed faith, needed assurance, the, the hope and the joy and the peace of his resurrection. He also knew Thomas needed that especially. So he showed Thomas his hands and his feet, let him touch him, proved that he was alive so that Thomas would stop doubting and believe. Now, are there times in your life when you ask for proof from God? Do you need to see his love, his protection, his grace in your life before you trust in him? Are there times when you start doubting your own faith, especially when your faith is being attacked by people at work or at school? And do those times start happening more and more when you're away from studying God's word, when you're away from being surrounded by other Christians in worship and studying the Bible? Do you realize that, that you start losing that peace, that assurance, that comfort when you're not going to church, when you're not studying the Bible? Are, are you like Thomas when you're absent from, from learning about God's word and having that comfort and your faith starts to get weaker? That proof just seems to be lacking a little bit. I think we're all a little more like Thomas than we would like to admit. There are certainly times in our lives when we ask for proof from God. But we have something even better than what Thomas had. We have God's entire word. We have the full Bible, which shows us God's plan of salvation from the very beginning. We can see how all the prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus. We don't, you know, we haven't seen Jesus' body. We haven't seen the nail marks. We haven't touched him. We haven't, you know, we weren't there with the disciples in that locked room when they saw Jesus. But we still see and touch him. We see Jesus in his word. We can touch him when we receive his body and blood in the Lord's Supper. We have 
the entire Word of God, which is true. We know it's true, and it's powerful. That's all the proof that we need. And every time you hear the Word of God, every time you read it, that Holy Spirit is being breathed onto you as well, just like it was with the disciples. And that Holy Spirit gives us the same peace Jesus gave his disciples. We know that Jesus is alive. We have that same peace. The Holy Spirit, when it's being breathed out on us, is the one thing that gives us the comfort and the hope to share the message of our risen Savior with the world. And as John says in verse 31 of our message, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what it all boils down to. John 3.16 is often called the gospel in a nutshell. John 20, verse 31, might be called faith in a nutshell. We have the whole word of God. And the whole Bible is written so that we would believe in Jesus, have that peace of his resurrection, and have eternal life. We don't have every last detail of Jesus' life. But what we do have is enough to give us salvation. We know Jesus is true God and true man. We know his death and resurrection paid the price for all of our sins. We are forgiven. That's where we find our comfort. That's where we find our peace. And that means you have life in Jesus. Because Jesus came alive, that means you are alive. That's the peace, the comfort we have in Jesus' resurrection. You also have the Holy Spirit in you. Every time you read and hear God's word, the Holy Spirit is breathed out on you. And that Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit is being breathed out on you right now as you contemplate the Word of God. So go out and live that life. Let it form who you are, that Easter peace, that Easter joy. Let that message show other people what Jesus has done for them. And the only way we can do that is if we stay in God's word. If we keep surrounding ourselves with other Christians, other disciples of Jesus, keep growing in the word, keep growing in your faith. And don't be like Thomas, who skipped out on church. Keep coming to where you will receive that message of Easter peace, where you will keep receiving the Holy Spirit. We need that peace every day of our lives. Because this world is filled with things that tries to take away that peace. From political upheaval to that 
person who's being a jerk and being a thorn in your side to your conscience that keeps nagging you and nagging you about things you've done in your past. You need to go back to the fact that Jesus died for you and that now Jesus is alive again. That's where we get that peace, that joy, comfort, and hope. And that's the message of peace that we take to everyone else in this world. Because the world is searching for peace. Some people look for peace inside themselves. You look to be at peace with one another. The world looks for peace between countries. And even sports fans look for peace. I was at the Blue Jays game this past Wednesday night. And to be honest, it was a pretty boring game. Not much was happening. There was, you know, there were a few glimpses of good pitching and good hitting, good defense. But things didn't get exciting until the ninth inning. Jose Bautista blasted a home run to tie the game in the bottom of the ninth. Now the stadium was just going nuts. Blue Jays fans had something to be happy about. They were excited. They had a chance to win. Now if the Blue Jays won, that would give those thousands of Blue Jay fans some peace in their fanhood. There was one guy in particular who was sitting next to my friend and he was about to lose his mind if the Blue Jays lost. That guy really needed some peace in his life to calm him down. <laughs> but that peace, that, that hope, quickly faded as the Cleveland Indians scored a run in the, in the 11th inning and eventually the Blue Jays lost. Thousands of Blue Jay fans went home disappointed because their hometown team lost. They lost that peace. They lost that joy and that comfort. Now, granted, every analogy limps, but friends, we have a peace that will never be taken from us. We had a very exciting weekend last weekend at Cross of Life. We were filled with Easter joy. Let's not let that excitement, that joy, that peace fade away. Because we have the peace knowing that Jesus is alive. Love came alive, and that means you and I are alive. That Easter peace doesn't last for just one day or one week out of the year. We have that peace every single day of our lives. And it isn't even just for this life. We know that Jesus earned us peace with God through the nail marks in his hands and his feet, through his death, and then through his resurrection. We know we will have that peace every day of our lives here, and we also know that Jesus won us peace with God forever. And one day we will be able to enjoy the full measure of that peace when we're in heaven with Jesus. That is certainly something to look forward to. So let's stay in the word. Keep in the word. Keep in that Easter joy, that Easter peace, knowing that your sins are forgiven. And let's share that word, that message of peace with the world. Peace 
be with you. Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.